0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Oceanside Sanctuary, whether you're here in person in the sanctuary or watching online on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, it's always exciting to, to be up here and welcome you. Hope you had a, had a great week. If you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, there's a couple QR codes in the back of the room and in the bathrooms and throughout the church. And you just scan those and that'll take you right to the website. And that'll put you in contact with the staff here at the sanctuary. So we'd love to know you're out there. Let, let us know how you're doing. Um, If you're here this morning, you're here for the first time, just come on up and see Jason or Janelle or Joey or Alex and introduce yourself. If you're if you're comfortable doing that um, this morning, a couple quick things for you, as Joey mentioned from the worship stage and Roy mentioned, we are in Lent and it has begun. We will be going through a new devotional called Journey to Easter this year. Um, Every year, the Disciples Seminary Foundation puts together a new devotional, which features diverse voices from a wider denomination, Disciples of Christ. This year, it's going to highlight and share some reflections from our very own Reverend Jason. So we're going to get a chance to check that out. So if you'd like to check out that devotional, it's up on the Oceanside Sanctuary website. And I'm sure if you're watching online this morning, um, you'll be able to download that as well. That's a PDF download for you for that devotional. Also monthly, the call in response this month, it's March 24th, 630 p.m. via the Zoom. If you want a safe space to talk about the Bible, this is a great place to do it. Um, call in response is our monthly group scripture study that approaches the Bible study as a group dialogue. So that's kind of nice and different chance to actually discuss it in a friendly, loving way and you can rsvp on the oceansidesanctuary.com website for this month's call and response once again thursday march 24th 6 30 p.m and then finally we always like to mention this because this church the sanctuary survives uh, from gifts like you guys and you ladies and our families sitting in this auditorium and watching online and Sanctuary survives from those gifts. This is a nonprofit, 501c3, and it impacts the community uh, through our gifts. So feel free to jump online. You can give monthly. It's easy. And I hope you guys all have a great week. Great to see everybody this morning.
1: Uh, Today, I'm going to continue with our wisdom series. We're going to enter into the third part of our Wisdom Series here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. For the month of January, for those of you who weren't here, uh, or for those of you who were, by way of a reminder, we studied the book of Proverbs and asked the question, what does Proverbs teach us about wisdom? And then in February, we took a look at Job and asked the question, what does Job do to sort of advance our idea of wisdom? This month, we're going to take a look at the third traditional wisdom book in the Hebrew Bible, and that is Ecclesiastes. Now, for those of you who might not know, the Hebrew Bible contains all kinds of wisdom writings, but these three books, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, really traditionally form the ancient Hebrew notion of wisdom writings. It's called the Ketuvim in the ancient uh, Hebrew tradition. These are the three books that really represent what divine wisdom looks like. And we got started on this series because coming out of the Advent season in December and entering into Christmas, we really reckoned with this idea that the Christian life, that the life of faith is not so much a life that sort of sets aside our experiences here in this world and looks forward to some sort of disembodied existence in a future eternity, but rather that the life of faith is a life of wisdom lived here and now. So what does that wisdom look like? So that's what we are going to jump into today, the third part of this wisdom series. We're going to wrap this up at the end of March by moving through the book of Ecclesiastes together this month. I want to, before we do that, just say a word of prayer. But before we do, Pray together for our teaching today. I want to invite you to pray with me. Yesterday, Janelle and I uh, arrived at Seahive. So for those of you who don't know, Seahive is a vintage marketplace down on Coast Highway. And Janelle has a booth there. uh, And uh, one of our church members uh, here actually manages Seahive and so we're there a lot as you can imagine and as we were walking up one of the owners of Seahive met us out in the parking lot and uh, we said hello, his name's Brandon we had a quick chat quick chat with Brandon of course just started with hey how's it going it's been a little while since we've seen you and he said oh it's been a crazy week because my wife of course is from Ukraine And it turns out that Brandon's wife has 40 extended family members in Ukraine that they are trying to get out of Ukraine right now. They're all over the country and they are living every single day in fear of their lives and fear of the lives of their friends and family. And so he told us this just amazing story of how they have been trying to coordinate with people in Ukraine and in France to try to get them out of the country Uh, One of those families has uh, borrowed a van, like a panel van, like a big Ford panel van, and they're putting like 11 kids in this panel van and trying to drive to France. And so they've written on the side of this van 11 children in this van because they're afraid that their van will be mistaken as a, a kind of like rebel vehicle. Uh, fighting against the Russians who are invading. And so they're living with a lot of stress and a lot of fear. And I'm going to invite you guys today to pray with me for Brandon's family in Ukraine. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray towards the end of the service a little bit more if you feel led. But I want to begin my teaching today by inviting you just to join with me. Would you do that? God, we thank you for this opportunity for us to gather. We thank you for... uh, The fact that we can come here this morning, whether it's in person here in Oceanside on the corner of Freeman and Topeka, face to face, or uh, even online. I know that there are many watching today on Facebook and YouTube, people from right here in North San Diego County, but also people from outside of San Diego County. uh, Folks all, all over the state of California and all over the United States who are tuning in and watching this. And whose hearts are burdened by what's happening in ukraine we pray god today not only uh, for ukrainians in general but specifically for brandon's family uh, for his wife's family there all over the country who are clamoring to get out to find safety to to gather their children uh, their family members their friends their loved ones and find some place of refuge we know God that when we pray in this way uh, it's because it's all we can do and we admit that we feel really helpless and powerless in this situation but because our hearts are broken for these people we come before you this morning and offer up these words would you comfort them Would you guide their steps? Would you bring into their lives people and opportunities for safety and for refuge? And would you give us the opportunity to make a difference in some way in the situation on the other side of the world and the courage to act when given that chance? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we have been digging into what wisdom looks like in the Hebrew Bible. Again, book of Proverbs, we learned the basic lesson in the book of Proverbs that uh, you have to be a person who is disciplined in life in order to get by. I've told you that the sort of summary of the book of Proverbs is uh, if you want to have a good and decent life, then you need to get up every day and go to work and uh, and and be a person who takes responsibility for themselves. That is essentially the promise of the book of Proverbs, that if you get up every day and you work hard and you're honest, you tell the truth, you follow the rules, then God will bless you, that your life will be good. But if you don't get up every day, you don't go to work, and you lie and you cheat and you steal, then God will curse you. Your life will be bad. And of course, Proverbs begins with this sort of characterization of wisdom being handed to children. And that is very much a kind of children's lesson about wisdom. We need our children at an early age to understand that they have some agency in their lives, that they need to learn how to have self-discipline. And it's true, of course, that if you don't have self-discipline, you're not going to get very far in life. And so I said that that was good wisdom. It was important wisdom for us to learn. And if you haven't learned that lesson by the time you're in your 20s or 30s or 50s or 60s, it's probably a good time to learn those lessons, right? Um, But I did also say that that was essentially beginning wisdom, that it was like Wisdom 101, that it's the basics, it's the fundamentals of what it means to live a good and decent life. And then we get into the book of Job. And in the book of Job, Job asks the question that should occur to every single one of us at some point in our lives, usually around adolescence, when we learn that just because we follow the rules and tell the truth and are obedient and get up every day and try to work hard, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that everything in life is going to go well for us. And maybe even more important than that, we also recognize that the world is full of people who don't work hard every day, and don't tell the truth, and don't play by the rules, and yet their lives seem abundantly good, and that seems unfair. And for that reason, we have the book of Job. And the poet who wrote Job asked this question, what's the point of being good if being good doesn't guarantee us a good life? And I said that this question in the entire book of Job, the question of why it is that righteous people sometimes suffer or unrighteous people sometimes prosper, that this is sort of advanced wisdom. Now, once you get back past Wisdom 101, that it's normal for you to ask these harder questions and that the poet's answer in the book of Job to that question is, that's the wrong question. You shouldn't be asking what the point of living a good life is. You should be recognizing that life is much bigger than you. And that is essentially the wisdom we gain from Job, that as God, in God's sort of final epic poem in the book of Job, God reveals the the beautiful, complex, fantastic, remarkable workings of the universe, and Job, in viewing that incredibly beautiful, complex, remarkable universe, Job's response to that is humility. Job realizes that he is but one small part of a much bigger and more complicated whole. And I said that that is sort of wisdom 201, that we come to the realization that the whole world doesn't revolve around us and our own individual personal needs, that God, whatever God is, doesn't exist to fulfill our wishes. And that is sort of advanced wisdom. This I think is helpful for us beginning to identify uh, what I, I think we could understand as the trajectory of wisdom. Proverbs shows us that the difference between a wise person and a foolish person is that the wise person sees past short-term desires. Now, the wise person realizes that by sacrificing a little bit now, right, whether that's getting up in the morning and working, that there's a payoff down the road whereas the fool seeks to fulfill their immediate desires. And so the first sort of trajectory of wisdom is that it moves from short-term thinking to much longer-term thinking. By thinking in the long-term, you can make smarter decisions now that will pay off in the future, and it turns out that there's another trajectory that Job reveals that's similar, and that is that wisdom reveals moving from small picture to big picture. Moving your perspective from thinking about you and your own family, your own needs, your own isolated desires, and instead zooming out and recognizing that you are a part of a much bigger universe. It's the same kind of move. It's the move from small to big. It's the move from short-term to long-term. Wisdom zooms out on life and recognizes the bigger patterns inherent in it but there's a problem with seeing the big picture. And the problem is beautifully captured by the opening poem in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me now to Ecclesiastes chapter one. Much like Proverbs and the book of Job, Ecclesiastes involves a great deal of poetry. And Ecclesiastes begins with this fantastic poem that really captures the difficulty of big picture thinking. Chapter one, verse one says this, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So traditionally Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of a descendant of David as usually traditionally uh, attributed to Solomon. So again, wisest person who has ever lived, that should get our attention. We ought to say, well, let's pay attention to what this person writes. Verse two begins the poem, vanity of vanities says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered and nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. A less cheerful poem probably does not exist on the earth. And that is the point. The point of advanced wisdom is that once you have, like Job, by the end of that book, zoomed out on life and glimpsed the bigger picture, once you have appropriated the beauty and the complexity of the universe, it's only a matter of time before you begin to realize that the question is no longer, what's the point of being good? Being good doesn't give me a good life. The question is, what is the point of life at all? nothing ever changes. The sun comes up and the sun comes down. The wind blows and the wind stops blowing and people talk and they stop talking and nothing ever changes. Once we capture a glimpse of the bigger picture, we realize that our tiny, infinitesimal lives in the bigger timeline of the universe don't matter one bit. that this spot where we stand someday will be returned to dust. And I along with it. And on that day, when this spot on the earth is full of weeds and there is no evidence of a building or a church or a people that occupied this space, nobody will remember me and nobody will remember you. So what is the point? This is, of course, the dilemma that digging deeper into wisdom creates for us. It begins, this poem begins with this notion of futility, which in my Bible says, verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the teacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The trouble with that translation is that this word vanity makes it sound like everything we do is driven from our own self-obsession, but that's really not what word is being used here. This Hebrew word that is used and translated in my version as vanity is the Hebrew word havel, and havel doesn't really mean like self-obsession or vanity in the classic sense of being in love with my own image. Rather, havel means utter and complete futility. There is no point. The poet captures this very effectively, I think, in verse 14, when he says, I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun, and see all is vanity, a chasing after the wind. Again, that word vanity is used, but again, the word is havel. And Havel is this notion that whatever we do, it is utterly fruitless. And what could be more fruitless than trying to chase or herd the wind? To somehow lead the wind, to control the wind, to capture the wind, to direct the wind in some way. It simply is not possible. This, I know is not the sort of thing you come to church to hear, I'm sorry. You're looking to be uplifted, I know. You're looking to be reassured that what you believed when you walk through the door is still good and right, and that when you walk out the door, you are still saved. So if you get hit by a bus, you'll end up in heaven, and Jesus will say, I know, that was a good sermon, I heard it too. but that is not the kind of comfort that the preacher of Ecclesiastes offers us. What I want you to know is that this is normal. I want you to know that as you pursue wisdom, as you pursue knowledge, as you zoom out on the bigger picture of life, that it is normal to ask the question, what is the point? Is it all meaningless? Where are we going with this? Now, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is going to explore this question in a couple different ways. The preacher is going to study wise sayings from the past. The preacher is going to observe the events of life, the things that happened around them. And this preacher is going to explore The experiences of life, including all kinds of sensual opportunities to enjoy life for its own sake, all of this will be done in the pursuit of wisdom, and we will unpack all of that in the weeks to come. This is where we're going. But in the meantime, I want to sit with this idea that much of life feels like we are trying to herd and lead and guide the wind, that it feels futile. Some of you know that I was just in Washington, D.C. this week, Um, had the opportunity with a number of folks from the San Diego Organizing Project, which is one of our partners here in pursuing social policy changes. We had the opportunity to visit Capitol Hill and meet with uh, Congressman Mike Levin, talk to the Congressman about ARPA funding for our county, talk to the Congressman about immigration reform, uh, talk to the Congressman about some of the other things that are going on, and it occurred to me this week as I was studying for today that there might not be a better place on earth to represent the futility of hurting the wind than Washington, D.C. that much of what happens there in that place on the Capitol, as good and important as I think it is, is a literal physical manifestation of trying to herd the wind. Chicago is called the Windy City for all its politicians, but it should be Washington, D.C. We talk and talk endlessly to try to control what we cannot control you know, there are two concepts in ancient Hebrew for wind or air or spirit. And the first is this Hebrew word ruach, which is used throughout the Bible for the spirit of God. Ruach is literally the air around us, the wind that moves. Ruach is that life-giving Spirit that we literally breathe in. It makes it possible for us to live. It is full of life and power and it's utterly unpredictable. When Jesus talks about the wind blowing and you not knowing where it's coming from or where it's going, Jesus is tapping into this notion of Ruah, that God's spirit is life giving and powerful and all around us and we live simply by virtue of. Breathing in that spirit. Joey sang a song about this today. What we breathe in is the ruach of God, the life, the power of God. What we breathe out is the waste product What we breathe out is what you see when you go somewhere that's very cold, and you exhale, and there's this cloud visible in front of you from the vapor. And if you're anything like me, you're struck by how small and wispy it is. It's gone in an instant. There is almost nothing to it. It is utterly powerless and insignificant compared to ruah. That exhale, is Havel, is breath. It's nothing, it's vapor. And it's our attempt to be in control. It's our attempt to do something that matters. And yet, in relation to everything else, it's almost nothing. Breath, breath, says the teacher, all is mere breath. All is breath and chasing after the wind. And yet, when we are faced with situations that we cannot control, when we are faced with circumstances or suffering or pain or political injustices or wars on the other side of the world, it might be that all we have is Havel. But we offer it anyway. And that's prayer. There's that old saying that When there's something that we can do, we do it. When there's nothing we can do, we pray. Havel might be all I have, but in the face of not being able to do anything of use, anything that will change or control a terrible situation, at the very least, I have breath to give, to appeal to something better. Is it worth wasting my breath if that's all I have to give? If the answer to that question for you is yes, that is faith. And so when we are not in control, when we feel utterly useless and futile, when we cannot do anything from our place in Oceanside, California, to affect change in Kiev or anywhere else, are you willing to waste your breath? Today I wanna to invite you to do that. I'm gonna invite you to continue your prayer for Ukraine and for Brandon and his family in Ukraine by coming up here and lighting a candle for the folks that we are wasting our breath on. It may not feel like much, but it's what you have to give. And if you offer it, and you believe that it may do something, and if nothing else, what it may accomplish for God to bring about a change in you so that you can be more faithful that this is your opportunity to do that. I want to invite you to come forward and offer your prayer and also to light a candle. There are 40 candles up here that represent the 40 members of his family, and I'd like to see all of these lit So what you can do is, as Joey and the band play our last song, come on up and grab a match. Light it from one of the candles. The center candle's already lit. And then, this is very important when you're done, blow out your match and put it in the empty container here. And as you light that candle, say your prayer for the people of Ukraine and for Brandon's family. Would you join with me as we begin to transition into this time of prayer? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to wrestle with what it means for us to be people who have very little power and control and impact on the bigger circumstances of the world. We pray that in the face of this futility and mortality That you would muster in us the courage and the faith to offer what little we have to give to trust that you take that and do something more with it hear our prayers today god in jesus name amen just come forward when you're ready
2: Take me back to the garden Lead me back to the moment I heard your voice Take me back to communion Lead me back to the moment I saw your face And it was so so simple It was easy to love between us. It was easy to trust. You are closer, closer than my skin. Yes, you are God. And dead things come back to living. I feel my heart beating again. It feels so good to know you are my friend. This is the God
3: is communion here in the place I'm fully known and it was all so simple you're so easy to love and no space between us you're so And here's where the dead things come back to living. I feel my heart beating again. It feels so good to know. Thank you for letting us in, and we seek your wisdom when we don't know the answer,
2: and this is where I'm meant to be,
3: this is where I'm
2: meant to be, me and you.
3: To So good to know
2: you are my friend, such a friend, a friend in you, such a friend.
1: You can tell who uh, has been a pastor because they hang out up here long enough to make sure every candle gets lit. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, CJ. This really is about coming to terms with our limitations. Coming to terms with our boundaries. Coming to terms with being people who are going to die turn to dust. I can't think of a better, more appropriate book to read through and study during Lent than Ecclesiastes. This is where we're going. We're going to explore the limitations of human power and control and experience. Growing in wisdom means reckoning with those boundaries, being honest with ourselves about them. And I want to continue to offer to you this month that whatever it is you think prayer is or isn't, that at the very least, it is our response to not having control. And so I wanna leave you with that today and ask that the the Lord will bless you today as you go. And also, as usual, to offer you the peace of God. So may the peace of God be with you. Have a good week.
3: Take care, everybody. Because you, cause you are closer, closer than my skin. It's so good to know you are mine.